Amen. What a great day of worship already. Amen. Let's take our Bibles and open, if we would, to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, as we continue our study through the book of Philippians, we'll be looking specifically this morning at verses 4 through 11. Philippians 3, verses 4 through 11. One of the things I love the most about the book of Philippians is the way in which it reveals to us Paul's pastoral heart. You can see glimpses of this in all of Paul's books, but no place do you see it more clearly than you see it in the book of Philippians. We do not simply see his sharp mind, his theological intellect, his holiness and purity in his walk with the Lord. But in the book of Philippians, we see the deep affection and love he has for this church. And that's really the way it works. The more that we fall in love with Jesus, the more that we fall in love with the church. You can't say you love Jesus, but you don't love the church because the church is the bride of Christ. So it is in Philippians 1, chapter Uh, Philippians 1 verse 8, the Apostle Paul talks about this. He says, for God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. In other words, the affection that God has for his people had been given supernaturally to Paul. And he's writing them to saying, listen, I love you so deeply. And I'm writing to you because I love you deeply. And I love the way in which he communicates this love as well in Philippians 1.25 which is the verse that's probably impacted my pastoral ministry more than anything else. It is the verse, I pray more for you than I pray anything else. And the Apostle Paul says to the church at Philippi, I'm really convinced that I'm going to see you again, that I'm going to remain with you. Why? For your progress and joy in the faith. What is it that Paul wanted? What he wanted from his ministry is that he would lead the church to greater progress and to greater joy. By progress, he means internally and externally, that that you would make progress, that every one of you individually would make progress. You would love Jesus more. You would give yourself more fully to Christ, that through you, God would advance his kingdom more, that you'd lead more people to Christ and be a more effective witness, your progress and your joy. We talked about this last week. God is concerned for your joy. And so it is Paul believes that part of his ministry is to increase the joy of the people. That's exactly what I pray, that God would use me to allow you to make progress and that somehow through the preaching of his word and the exaltation of Christ, you would receive more joy in the Holy Spirit. And so what Paul is doing is he's then talking about in chapters 1, 2, and 3 all the things that have the potential to hinder our progress and our joy. He calls out the lack of unity. He calls out the selfish ambition in chapter 2. He calls out... Uh, the division that is in the church, the grumbling that is in the church, and saying, listen, all of this stuff is going to hinder your progress and joy. And then in chapter 3, he specifically calls out false teachers, and he calls them out because they will hinder the progress and joy of the people of God, particularly as we talked about last week, these Judaizers, these Jewish so-called believers who are coming in behind the Apostle Paul and teaching that the way to be saved is faith plus works, That you had to believe in Jesus, but you also had to be circumcised, and you have to follow all the traditions of the Old Testament, and if you didn't, you could never be right before God. They distorted the gospel of Jesus Christ. They heaped heavy burdens upon the people, and Paul very specifically says you need to look out for these people because they will ruin your joy and your progress. And then... Paul does something that's actually a bit unusual for the Apostle Paul. He only does this a couple of times. He begins to talk about himself. 
He begins to give his own testimony after he talks about the need to stop grumbling and to be unified and to look out for these false teachers. He talks about his own experience in his own life, and here's the reason why. is because Paul was a man who spent his life following the laws and the rules and realized after he had followed all of the laws and all of the rules that he had missed that which was actually most valuable, that all of his effort had been a waste. Can you imagine spending all of your life trying to gain something, finally having gained it and realized that after you got everything you had ever wanted, what you got was worthless? And that's the testimony of the Apostle Paul, that he made a discovery, and the discovery was this, the surpassing value of Jesus Christ. He realized that the source of progress and the source of joy is Jesus himself, and for our sake, For our joy and our progress, he wants to talk about his own life, that we might learn from him in hopes that we might pursue Christ above everything else. So let me start in verse 2 and look with me as I'm going to read verses 2 through verse 11 to see what the Apostle Paul is saying here. If you have your place in Philippians 2 and you're looking with me, say amen. Amen. He says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. And we looked at those verses last week. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Now, the Apostle Paul begins his testimony by laying out his rather impressive spiritual resume. Now, uh, probably none of us grew up in a home in which these kind of things were valued, but for a first century Jew, what the Apostle Paul says here is he lays out a resume that would be hard to beat. They had in every way had been not only born into it and really destined for greatness But he had worked as hard as he could and applied great diligence in order to be what he would consider a Jew with an incredible spiritual resume. He gives seven achievements. Four of them are inherited. He really can't take credit for them, although he seems to maybe take a little credit. And then three of them he earned. Look at it real quickly. He says, first of all, he was circumcised on the eighth day. In other words, exactly the way in which the law said to do it. 
His parents, like Jesus' parents, took him to the temple and had him circumcised eight days after he was born. Exactly like it was supposed to be done. So at eight years of age, he had already put a little notch in his spiritual resume. What had you accomplished after eight days of being born? He says, I am of the people of Israel, meaning he, he was not converted into this. He is actually a physical descendant of Abraham. He can trace his heritage back to Abraham. He says, I'm also of the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin was only one of the two tribes that followed David after the kingdom divided, one of the two tribes that actually makes up the kingdom of Israel. It's a distinguished tribe. It is a loyal tribe. He says, I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's devoted to his culture and his heritage. In other words, if you looked at what it meant to be a Hebrew during these days, Paul's saying, I was an example of what it means. My parents raised me exactly the way they should have. And then he says, but there are three things that I continued to do. I, I was a Pharisee. As to the law, a Pharisee. He was a religious leader. Matter of fact, church history tells us that he studied under Gamaliel, which means that he went to an Ivy League school. And if you would have heard Paul talk, you would have realized he got the best education you could possibly get. He says, as to zeal, how zealous was I? Well, I was a persecutor of the church. He hated Christ. He killed Christians. He fought for the purity of the Jewish people. And he was blameless according to the law, which means he lived an exemplary moral life. He was a model of a religious leader. And so what he's doing here is saying, listen, I worked hard. Not only did I inherit a lot, but I was disciplined. I spent my life. And every single thing I did was in hopes that I might add to my spiritual resume. I wanted to be right with God. I wanted to do things right. I wanted to be obedient. So Paul's entire life, listen, was driven by a desire to do what he thought God wanted him to do. And at the end of it, he has this massive spiritual resume enlisted here, 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 here. Is all of the things that he had worked to receive. And that's why verse 7, look at it as such a shocking statement. He says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And Paul introduces us here to two words that he's going to use over and over in the next few verses, gain and loss. These were financial terms. The word picture that we should have in our mind as we read this, and the one that Paul is using, is of a ledger. And on one side is gains, and another side is losses. On one side is deposits, on the other side is withdrawals. On one side, here's all the good things that I have done and all the impressive qualities of my life. On the other side is all the things that I've fought against and been ashamed of. And Paul says, I had this long list of gains and not a very long list of losses. I had spent my life gaining and gaining and gaining. He said, but I came to a moment in which everything I had ever worked for, listen to this, everything I had ever put in my gain category, everything I ever thought was going to make me right with God, he says, now I see every one of my gains as losses. As a matter of fact, he goes on and he says that I count them at the end of verse 8 as rubbish. It's not just losses. He sees them as trash, as dung, as filth. What he's saying is that he built his entire life until he was a grown man on one value system, and it's a value system that he now despises. You say, well, what happened? I mean, how is it that a man like this 
who spent so much time putting his spiritual resume together can come to a moment in his life which entire value system changes and everything he saw as gain is now a loss? The answer is simple. Paul met Jesus. It's so interesting because in Acts chapter 8, it tells us that the Apostle Paul was ravaging, it uses this word, he was ravaging the church. He was dragging people out of their homes. He was throwing people into prison. In Acts chapter 9, he got a letter from the authorities giving him the right to go to Damascus and to take, go door to door to find out if people are followers of Jesus, if they are, to remove them forcibly out of their house and to throw him into jail. And while he was on his way to go door-to-door unevangelism and drag people out of their houses, it was in that moment in which Jesus dramatically interrupted his life and showed him that everything he had ever lived for was a worthless pursuit. That at that moment in which he met Jesus Christ, he discovered something much greater. He discovered Jesus. But the story of the Apostle Paul is much like the parable in Matthew 13, 44, where a man goes and finds a treasure hidden in a field, and it says this, out of joy, he goes and sells everything he has in order to get that treasure. In other words, this is a man who believes that the treasure he found is worth more than everything else he possessed. And so it wasn't a sacrifice to go sell everything. Out of joy, he went and sold everything he had in order to get that treasure. And Jesus says, that's what the kingdom of God is like, because Jesus Christ is the greatest treasure you could ever possess. And if you had to sell everything in order to get it, you would be making a wonderful decision. Apostle Paul says that's what happened. He discovered the surpassing greatness and value of Jesus Christ. And as a result, he looked at everything he had ever accomplished and now saw it as worthless. See, what's amazing is he not only looks at all that he accomplished and he doesn't just realize, well, that wasn't really a worthy pursuit. No, he goes stronger than that. He says, everything that I accomplished was actually a loss. It it was a negative. It wasn't just a non-positive It was actually a negative. Everything I was doing was making my situation worse. Can we just put ourselves in this position? Coming to a moment where everything you've ever thought was of value, you now become aware that all of it was actually hindering you and not helping you. I think about a young man who decides at a very young age that he wants to do something great with his life. In his mind, his parents never accomplished much, and he's determined he's going to do something different. And he begins at a young age. He works hard. He studies hard. He gets into an incredible college. While all of his friends are out playing and doing all the things that you might do in college, he's disciplined. He doesn't value relationships. He values hard work. He makes great grades. He spends all of his summers getting internships. He then graduates from college, and instead of taking a gap year or something others might do to travel, he immediately gets into a company and He decides that if he will work harder than everyone and come in earlier and stay later, that he might just rise up in the company, and he does. He gets married, he has a family, but he has one thing in his mind. He wants to be a success, and he is driven by this desire to get all the things that he thought his parents never received. He's driven. He's always there. He's working hard. He goes in on Saturdays. He works on Sundays, and all of a sudden, he kind of comes to his senses one day, and he finds himself in his corner office, having become a partner in the firm, accomplished everything he wanted to accomplish, and yet realized that his children won't take his phone calls, and his wife had left him. Everything he ever wanted, 
But he realized that by gaining everything he wanted, he actually lost everything that was actually valuable. You see, it's not just that all he gained wasn't valuable. It's that all he gained was actually hindering him from getting something more valuable. Paul says, that's exactly what happened to me. That I met Jesus and all of a sudden I began to despise what I used to treasure. As the hymn writer says, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I counted as loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Paul saw the value, the surpassing value of Jesus Christ and decided that the greatest treasure he could ever possess was Christ. And his response to this discovery was to give himself fully to Jesus. Now listen. Here's the reason Paul tells us this, is because he does not want you to waste your life. He wants to warn some of you at 13, 14, 15 years of age. He wants to warn some of you at 40, 50, 60 years of age. He wants to warn some of you at 70, 80 years of age. It doesn't matter how many years have wasted to begin right now treasuring Jesus Christ. To not give your life for something worthless. Paul is pleading with everyone in these verses that we would treasure Christ above everything. And in these verses, he tells us exactly how he does that. How is it that Paul treasures Christ? How are you to you to treasure Jesus Christ? Let me tell you real briefly the way in which Paul treasures Christ and the way in which we treasure Christ. And given the fact that by faith we believe Jesus is the greatest treasure, I plead with you, write these things down. How do we treasure Christ? The first one is this. We treasure Christ by rejecting worthless pursuits. Rejecting worthless pursuits. Paul met Christ. His value system changed. He had been pursuing this. But all of a sudden, he realizes that what he had been pursuing was worthless. It wasn't going to amount to anything. That all that he was gaining here was actually a loss. He saw it as worthless. And because he saw it as worthless, he made a decision that by faith, he would reject those worthly pursuits and start to pursue something better. And there's a biblical word for this type of action. Here it is. The word is repentance. Repentance. What is repentance? Biblical repentance is acknowledging that this is worthless and this is valuable. And by faith, you choose to reject what the world counts as valuable, turn your back on it, and instead begin to pursue Jesus Christ. That is biblical repentance. When Jesus calls Matthew out of his tax collector's office and he says, come and follow me, Matthew repents by leaving his earthly job and following Jesus Christ. That's repentance. He believed that Jesus was better. And so he left his job and began to follow Jesus Christ. But look carefully at, at what Paul does in verse 8. Look at verse 8. He gives us to this in, in two tenses. He says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. But before that, in verse 7, he says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. So past tense and present tense. I counted as loss. And I continue to count it as loss. Now listen carefully to me. This is extremely important because we have gotten this idea that repentance and faith are one-time acts. Well, I, I trusted Jesus. 
No, I, I remember the time I repented of my sins. The Apostle Paul says that's not how it works. What he says is this. I came to a moment in which I counted all of this as worthless, and I began to follow Jesus. And then he says this, and I am still counting everything is lost because of the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ. Listen to me. The call to be a follower of Jesus is a call to daily, moment-by-moment repentance. We should be repenting moment-by-moment. You know why? Because moment-by-moment we find ourselves pursuing a worthless pursuit and not pursuing Christ. This is why John Calvin reminds us that man's nature is a, per, is a perpetual factory of idols. That's what, that's what uh, John Calvin says. A perpetual factory of idols. What does that mean? We're always producing something that we want to love more than Christ. And we'll find ourselves even for a moment pursuing that. And we stop and say, Lord, by faith, I believe that you're better. I'm going to choose to say no to this in order to say yes to Jesus the question I have for you this morning is, what do you need to reject in order to pursue Christ? This is an actual action in which you choose by faith to say no to this, to say yes to this. So let me ask you, what do you need to say no to in order to pursue Christ more fully? You reject worthless pursuits. The second one is this. You receive true righteousness. Reject worthless pursuits. Write that down. The second one is this. You then receive true not righteousness. How do you treasure Christ? Reject worthless pursuits, receive true righteousness. Verse 9 tells us that the Apostle Paul tried to earn his righteousness and a right standing with God. And instead of working, it actually hindered him because he found that his confidence and his boasting was in his righteousness, which actually wasn't righteousness at all. So he had built himself up thinking he was good when what he was actually doing is negatively boosting up his confidence and missing the righteousness of Christ. And verse 9 is one of the most important verses in Paul's writings. Look at verse 9 carefully. Paul says this, that I want to be found in him, look at this, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but instead that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now, I'm going to give you a, a theological term here, which you have to know. The term is this, imputed righteousness. You have to know this. Imputed righteousness. What does that mean? There is a righteousness, it's often called alien righteousness, a righteousness that you cannot earn but simply must be received. And the message of the gospel is this, is that if you want to get to heaven, God demands perfect righteousness. He doesn't let sin into his presence. He is a holy God, and he demands perfect righteousness. The problem is, according to Romans 3, there is no one righteous, no, not one. And so God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect, sinless life, to meet all the requirements of the perfect life that we had to meet in order to be with him. And what the Bible says is this, is the only way that we can actually become Christians is not by working hard to be righteous before God, but receiving the righteousness of Christ imputed to us. An alien righteousness. It's a righteousness outside of ours. And it is given to us and credited to our account. That's the reason we use the word justification. Is that at the moment of justification, all of your sin was removed and put on Jesus Christ. Listen, and all of the righteousness of Christ was credited to your account. That deserves more amens than six. 
All of the righteousness of Christ was credited to your account, not because you deserved it, but because Jesus lived a perfect life and died a sinner's death. So on your ledger, it could simply say, perfect holiness. It's the only reason anyone can get into the kingdom of God. You say, well, how, how do I get that? How do I get perfect righteousness credited to my account so that God no longer sees me through the lens of my sin, but he actually sees me through the lens of the perfect life of Christ. You receive it by faith. It says it twice. He says, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. We actually kind of react negatively against this because somehow in our sinful nature, we want to be able to work for this. We want to be able to do something that makes me feel like I've done this, therefore I get this. The problem is Christianity doesn't work that way. Christianity works this way. I am completely unable to meet the righteous requirements of the law. So what I do is I throw myself at the mercy of Christ and I say, I am trusting based upon what the word of God says that if I come to you in faith, believing that you died for me and rose for me, that the righteousness of Christ is credited to my account. I have faith in what Christ has done. Again, I said it last week, but my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. How is it that someone receives the righteousness of Christ? You do it by faith. Are you trusting in your own righteousness or the righteousness of Christ? If you want to treasure Christ, you see him as the only means by which you are saved. And the more that you meditate on the gospel and think about what Christ has done, the more Christ becomes valuable in your life and glorious in your life and great in your life. And you begin to treasure him more because you realize that it is only through Christ that you have any hope of eternal life in heaven. We reject worthless pursuits. We receive true righteousness. Quickly, the last one is this. We treasure Christ by running hard after him. We reject worthless pursuits. We repent continually. We then receive his righteousness and continue to meditate on that and think about the gospel. And then we do this. We then run hard after him. This is the key to verses 10 and 11. So, so I, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. I want to share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And we're going to talk about that next time we're together. And then it says in verse 12, not that I've already obtained this, I'm already made perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Brothers, I don't consider I've made it my own, but one thing I do, I forget what lies behind. I strain forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And then he says this, let everyone who's mature think that same way. Now, now it is here, we're going to meditate on this in the next couple of weeks, but I just need to say quickly, it is here in which somehow we have been sold a wrong bill of goods in which somehow we have thought that what it means to become a Christian is to make a one-time decision and just assume we're okay. There is a moment in which we are justified by faith, but that moment of justification lives to a life of sanctification. And what I find interesting here is Paul says, even though all of Christ's righteousness have been credited to my account, that doesn't make me work less. It makes me work harder. Listen, not in order that I become righteous. Listen, but because of this. Because I believe 
that the more I know Christ and the more I'm intimate with Christ and the more I spend time with Christ, the more joy I receive in Christ. That, that he's the greatest treasure I could ever possess. And when I say no to this and yes to this, I'm receiving something greater. For, because so out of, the, out of the desire for joy and the desire for something better, I, I keep pursuing Christ. I want more of him and more of him. I don't just want to taste. I want to feast. I, I, you know, the thing that makes everybody talks about what makes heaven so great and, you know, we'll see our loved ones and all that. I think that'll be fine. But, but let me tell you this. There is nothing greater in all of life than getting up in the morning, spending time with Jesus, and having something revealed to you by Christ. You just, man, you get a new word from God, and, and God speaks to you and ministers to you. Do you realize that heaven will be an eternity of fresh revelation? Because there is never an end to the revelation of God. He is eternal in every way. So every morning, we'll get a little bit more of his goodness and his grace and his kindness and love. And so every morning will be the increasing of our joy because we're knowing more of Christ. But I don't want to wait till then. I want more of it today. So out of a longing for more joy and a longing for more treasure in heaven, I'm running hard after Christ. That I am at the same time resting in what has been done for me and yet pursuing him that I might receive more of his joy. Listen, he is worthy of your greatest effort. He is worthy of your greatest effort because he is better than anything else you can ever receive. You will apply effort to something. You will apply effort to something. What I'm pleading with you to do is to apply effort into receiving more of Christ and his joy because he is better. I think this hymn written in 1888 expresses the cry of my heart and the cry of the Apostle Paul this morning. Listen to these words. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand. I'd rather have Jesus than men's applause. I'd rather be faithful to his dear cause. I'd rather have Jesus than worldwide fame. I'd rather be true to his holy name. He's fairer than lilies of rarest bloom. He's sweeter than honey from out of the comb. He's all that my hungering spirit needs. I'd rather have Jesus and let him lead than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. I plead with you this morning on Christ's behalf. Pursue that which is most valuable and don't waste your life. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.